Do you like free stuff? I do. BlueprintMCAT.com. Go sign up for a free account. Get access to Blueprint MCAT's Diagnostic, Blueprint MCAT's Full Length One, Blueprint MCAT's amazing brand new space repetition platform with over 1,600 flashcards already made for you, as well as their amazing study planner tool. Schedule out the content so you know if you are on track to take the MCAT when you need to. Again, that's blueprintmcat.com for all of those free goodies. The MCAT Podcast, session number 210. A collaboration between the medical school headquarters and Blueprint MCAT. The MCAT Podcast is free MCAT prep to help you understand the MCAT, teach you how to break down questions, and give you the skills and confidence to get the score you want on your MCAT test day. Learn more about Blueprint MCAT at blueprintprep.com slash MCAT. A collaboration between the medical school headquarters and Next Step Test Prep, the MCAT podcast is here to make sure you have the information you need to succeed on your MCAT test day. We all know that the MCAT is one of the biggest hurdles you'll face as a pre-med, and we're here to give you the motivation and information that you need to know to help get you the score you deserve so you can one day call yourself a physician. Welcome to the MCAT podcast. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray. As always, I'm joined by an amazing member of the Blueprint MCAT team. Specifically these days, um, one of the instructors from their MCAT's live online course. If you haven't checked it out yet, go over to blueprintprep.com and go click on MCAT. Their live online course is building upon their amazing MCAT course now with sessions, live sessions with multiple instructors all there at the same time with you, helping you through your MCAT journey. Again, go check it out, blueprintprep.com. Today, we're continuing our breakdown of MCAT full length one from Blueprint, the second best full length exams in the MCAT world, right behind the AAMC full length one you can get for free by signing up for the free resources over at blueprintprep.com. We're continuing here with Bio Biochem. Joya, back for another MCAT podcast. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? I'm doing excellent. I'm excited to to continue our deep dive into Blueprint Prep's full length one, which everyone gets for free. If you go to yeah. blueprintprep.com, you get uh, a half length diagnostic, full length one, access to the online kind of schedule creator, lots of free goodies that everyone can get. Um, let's talk about the the section that we're covering. We're covering bio biochem, which for a lot of people is their easiest. A lot of people, it's their hardest. A lot of people, it's kind of middle of the road. For you, and this is one of the benefits, I, I love having multiple instructors on here now. For you, what do you think is a, a good strategy to take coming off of lunch, right? The students go chem phys, cars, lunch break, kind of resetting and, and coming into bio, biochem, what do you see as a good strategy for that? It's funny that you ask. I didn't have lunch. Um, I, was a, I was a COVID tester, so I got 10 minutes. And I got 10 minutes and rushed back in. But I think the best thing to do is literally shake it out. I think I did like jumping jacks in the waiting room and just tried to cleanse my brain. I kind of sat down and 
like did a two minute meditation after doing some jumping jacks. I think the most important thing is to just like get your energy back and get your, get your head on straight. Um, I think it can sometimes drag at the middle point of the test. That's where I think a lot of students are like that moment of break in lunch can sometimes ruin the momentum. And so just getting your energy back, I think is important. And if bio biochem is a hard section, I think it's also useful to kind of sit and just go through in your head. What are the main things that, you know, are important for bio biochem and what are the things that, you know, you struggle with. So for me, I just have a lot of anxiety around amino acids. I know them. But uh, they just always stress me out. I had stress dreams where I like wrote <laughs> letters that were not in the amino acid alphabet and like made a protein that was like a monster and it came to life and ate me in the MCAT room. It was horrible. Um, so I knew going to BioBioCam, I needed to take like 10 seconds to just like think it through and just sit there and be like, okay, I know these concepts. Think about kidneys. That was an important thing for me. Um, but I think just whatever you do, like let the last two sections go. Um, I think that's by the time you get to bio biochem, you have two opportunities to freak out already. Mm. And I think sometimes that really gets to students, especially if they had a hard car section or they had a hard chem phys saying like, oh God, I'm still thinking about what happened or that one impossible question or that one terrible passage and just taking the time to, to like, let it go to just let it all, let it all slough off (laughs) and then go in with a fresh, with a fresh mind. I think lunch is great if you can have it. Um, I think a lot of people are like, should I not? should I not take the lunch break? And I'm like, you should take the lunch break. The Everyone lunch break. should take the lunch break. Take the lunch break. Yeah. Even if you're not, even if you're too nervous to eat, um, take the lunch break, get some water, go to the bathroom, splash some water on your face, yep. whatever you need to do, but you should do it. Breaks are great. Yeah. Awesome. All right. I want to jump in to um, passage two, bio biochem, full length one from yeah. blueprint prep. Again, everyone has access to this. Um, that they can dive into. So let's go ahead and uh, and dive into this passage. Awesome. Um, so this is one of those passages that I think is kind of a, a very informational style passage. They just give you a lot of info. And then at the end, they just throw a table at you. And so that can be a little challenging because I think sometimes students get caught up in the just level of vocabulary that's thrown at them here. We have tumor suppressors and oncogenes and we have kinases and they give us all these half maximal inhibitory concentrations. But I think reading this, I I always try to kind of highlight the important things. I read my bio biochem very much like I read a car's passage. I'm looking for main idea. I'm looking for meaning. I'm looking for function. And then spending a little bit of time, try to translate the figures into a story. So when you look at the figure as saying, if I had to describe this figure to someone who had never seen it, what would I say? And so kind of going through this, kind of just identifying the main points here. So in our very first paragraph, one that starts every year, we see that the author is giving us a little bit of a contrast to concepts. So oncogenes are ones that promote cell growth and tumor suppressor genes promote cell death. So we see two sides of the same coin. We've got two opposite processes happening. And then in our next passage, we have all these like kinases and these different processes. We're learning about Aurora C and A and B. So again, we see kind of a categorical distinction being made, Aurora C being involved in meiosis, A and B involved in mitosis. But we also see kind of some cause and effect and result stuff being given to us. So Aurora C being involved in spermatogenesis and oogenesis, A and B overexpression could cause cancer. And then just that kinases in general are about that mitotic progression. So this is kind of my thought process going through it. I'm reading each paragraph and trying to summarize the most important parts about it. And then my last one is where I'm getting into an actual 
um, a study here. So now I've left the textbook realm in my third paragraph, and I'm seeing this idea of the C5M as an inhibitor of cell division. And the way that they're measuring whether or not it's doing that is that IC50 or half maximal inhibitory concentration. So now I know what I'm looking at. I'm like, okay, they want to know if you can make cell division stop and they're going to measure it in this way and they're going to test this specific thing, C5M. Okay. So then well, I come down. Why, why don't we that. Why don't we read through um, as, as if we're going through and and um, go ahead and, and read through and we'll we'll kind of pick out what students should be picking out as they're going through. Absolutely. Do you want me to read out loud yeah. or? Sure. All right. Every year there are more than one million cases of invasive cancer in the United States, with five hundred eighty-two thousand deaths and fourteen thousand cases in patients younger than twenty years old. At its core, cancer is essentially the failure of tissue growth regulation. In order to maintain healthy and regular tissue function, it is necessary for genes, called oncogenes, to promote cell growth and reproduction. Another class of genes, called tumor suppressor genes, inhibits cell survival and division. These two families of genes are designed to work in harmony, cycling cells within tissues through stages of division and death. All right. All right. So I would read that and then go back and kind of highlight my key terms. So the first thing I saw was invasive cancer. I said, okay, that's my main idea in that very first sentence. Bunch of cases of invasive cancer. And what is cancer? It's a failure of tissue growth regulation. So I would highlight that as well, even if I knew it. And some of these things may be common knowledge to some people. Some people may be very good with their cancer biology. Some might not be. Mm. I'll highlight it anyways. And then I'll see... Genes called oncogenes promote cell growth and reproduction. That's super important to me. And then tumor suppressor genes inhibit cell survival and division. So now I've got all my vocabulary, and then I know that these are designed to work in harmony. So I might highlight harmony or work in harmony, depending on how I'm feeling. But that just on its own, I have a very good sense of what I've read. And I like to read my highlights alone back to myself to make sure that I've got the main idea. So invasive cancer, failure of tissue growth regulation, necessary for genes called oncogenes to promote cell growth and reproduction, tumor suppressor genes inhibit cell survival and division, work in harmony. So that's a really great summary of that first paragraph, just reading the highlights back. Yeah. Okay. So then um, I'd move on to the next paragraph. So I kind of have an idea of my basic basic thoughts, and then I'm going to go into some more detail. So a family of serine slash threonine protein kinases called aurora kinases play a crucial role in mitosis progression, including centrosome duplication, chromosome condensation, and cytokinesis completion. Aurora C has also been shown to be involved in spermatogenesis and oogenesis. Overexpression of auroras A and B has been observed in many cancers, including colon and breast cancer, and developing powerful aurora kinase inhibitors has become a priority for oncology researchers. So now I'm going a little bit more in depth. I learned what cancer was in the last paragraph. Now I'm going to learn what's specifically involved in that unregulated cell growth. So I would definitely highlight serine threonine protein kinases. That is the specific thing I'm talking about. And I would probably also highlight the phrase aurora kinases because now that's what they are. And they play a crucial role in mitosis progression. So I'm definitely going to highlight either mitosis or mitosis progression Um, I'm a minimal highlighter, so I would probably highlight just mitosis progression, but it kind of depends on where your eye goes. Um, As a person, I think some people prefer phrases, some people prefer words. I'm a word girl. Um, And then I would highlight the three things that it's involved in. So centrosome duplication, chromosome condensation, and cytokinesis completion. 
great. And then the next one is the spermatogenesis and oogenesis. That's different. That's important to me. So that tells me that my aurora C is involved more in meiosis than mitosis. And A and B observed in many cancers, that kind of already understood that here because they were telling me that these are a role in uh, mitosis progression. So I may, might not highlight observed in many cancers, but if I were feeling kind of unsure of my navigation through the paragraph, I might. So that's kind of a, an, if you feel like it, observed in many cancers. And then the last thing I would highlight would be aurora kinase inhibitors. So I know this is the thing that now researchers are looking at. So this is, a, I think, a really nicely organized paragraph because it's giving me very much a telegraph of what's coming next. So my first paragraph told me it was about cancer and then took me into a paragraph about the specific kinases involved. And then this paragraph is telling me about the specific kinases involved and leading me to what researchers are interested in, which is those aurora kinase inhibitors in that second to last sentence. All right. And then I'm going to kind of mosey on down to my last paragraph and see that scientists have been investigating a new hydrosoluble multi-kinase inhibitor, C5M, which has shown promise as an efficient inhibitor of the division of cells from a multiplicity of origins. Researchers first examined the IC50 of C5M in a number of cancers. The IC50, or half-maximal inhibitory concentration, is the concentration of drug that is required for 50% in vitro inhibition of a specific biological or biochemical function results in table one. Whew, so that was like a lot of technical language. So I'm going to go through and kind of break this down for myself so I know what to look at. I definitely care that it's hydrosoluble multi-kinase inhibitor C5M. I 100% care about that. That's what I'm studying. Great. And then what does it do? It's an efficient inhibitor of the division of cells. So that's what it does. So whenever I see a lot of jargon, I like to highlight what it is and what it does. Those are my two main points. So it's usually the name and then the brief description of it. Then I care about my other terms. So I was given IC50. I'm going to want to highlight that. I'm going to want to highlight half maximal inhibitory concentration. Those are defining my terms. And then I want to know what that means, which is 50% in vitro inhibition. So it's the concentration required for 50% in vitro inhibition. And that's where I'm going to leave it. So my goals when I'm highlighting, especially in biobiochem, are not to highlight too much because even if there's a ton of new information, not all of it may be necessary, but I want to get a sense of what did I just learn? What am I expected to be able to apply later? So since I saw that my results were in figure one of this C5M study, I knew that I needed to understand C5M, what it does and what I'm measuring in it. Makes sense. Okay. All right. So then we go on to our tables. So I think this is one of the more challenging aspects of biobiochem and any of the science passages for students is being able to understand what am I looking at when I see all these columns and all these numbers and all these abbreviations. And so I always start by reading the caption. So that's super important. Table one shows the concentration of C5M needed to reduce cell proliferation by 50% after 96 hours of treatment in a panel of four cell lines. So I don't really need to know anything about those four cell lines. I just need to know that in that cell line column, I see HeLa, Malavu, HCT116, and Focus. I don't need to freak out about those abbreviations. Maybe I know some of them, maybe I don't. The point is that they're different cell lines. Yep. Great. Different cell lines, different kinds of tissues and cancers. And then I'm looking in my last column, which is the most important one for me, is that IC50, that concentration of the drug needed to reduce cell proliferation by 50%. So this is where I look for a pattern. 
This is where I look, how efficient is C5M in these different cell lines? And so when I look at the numbers, what I can see is that C5M is kind of the same in the Gila and the Malavu. It's going to be less efficient in the HCT116 and really not efficient in the focus. And so the way that I'm figuring that out is I know IC50 is the concentration I need to reduce the proliferation by 50%. So the lower concentration I need, the more efficient the drug must be. If I need a ton of drug to reduce it by 50%, that means the drug's not that efficient and I need lots and lots of it to make the result that I want happen. So what I'm looking for is I'm looking for low numbers that indicate high efficiency. And I got that from the passage and determining what it means to have a concentration. Got it. Okay. And then I have one little kind of nub of writing to investigate differential efficiencies across cell lines. The scientists compared C5M treatment in genetically modified HCT116 cells. Great. So then I just know that I'm being very specific um, within the HCT lines. And I see this figure giving me exposure of four HCT116 cell lines with and without uh, CHK2 and P53 genes. They're all being exposed to the same um, concentration of C5M, and we're looking at what is the percentage of inhibition. So this time I'm holding the concentration constant. Last time I went, I modified the concentration until I got that 50% decrease. Here I have the same concentration, um, that one micromolar C5M, and I'm just seeing what percent of inhibition does it give me for each of these things. So in looking at that, I can kind of translate these bottom x-axis labels into words. So I can see that the CHK2 plus means that it has that gene and the CHK2 minus means that we knocked out the gene. And I see there's not really a difference between those two. And the reason I know that is by looking at the error bars. So minus p-values or asterisks, the best way to tell if there's a statistically significant difference is to check the error bars and whether or not they overlap. So when the error bars are overlapping, that tells me that the difference between those two values could be due to chance. It could be just that margin of error. If there's no overlap in the error bars, it's a good indication that there is a difference. There is a real statistically significant difference. So that's something we kind of talk about with students a lot is knowing what markers to look for that mean this is statistically significant. So usually a p-value will be really nice of less than 0.05 or less than 0.01. But if they don't give you a p-value, Um, They'll often give an asterisk where they'll just put a little star over the thing that's a significant difference. And then this is kind of the most challenging version where they don't give you any of that. And they just give you the error bars and expect you to understand what overlapping error bars mean. So just statistical significance is kind of an important concept for us to know when we're reading tables. So I can see between my first two bars that knocking out the CHK2 gene doesn't really do much. Um, I don't see that the efficacy of inhibiting cell division is increased or decreased. But then when I see the difference between the P53 plus and the P53 minus, I can see there's a big difference. So I had a lot more um, inhibition with C5M when I had the P53 gene than when I knocked it out. So that definitely had a a very, very clear um, effect, which tells me that C5M's efficiency is going to be mediated by at least one gene, maybe more. We didn't test that many, but I know that this one is definitely mediating how effective my C5M is. Okay. Oh, all right. So we made it through the passage and now we, we made go, it through the passage. Now we go on to these lovely questions. I'll start here with question six. Love um, it. 
It is most likely that the difference in percent in percent inhibition is significant between, and then we have um, the HCT one sixteen CHK CHK two plus and two minus, and and kind of what you said already was these overlapping bars, and I, I love that we have this kind of very quick and easy way to go. Overlapping bars, there's not a statistically significant difference there. And so exactly. we can cross out uh, answer choice A. And then we yep. have uh, CK, CHK2 plus um, and P53 minus, which screams that there's a significant difference. Um, yes, it does. And so I typically am one that will go, that's the answer. I'm moving on. Are, are you one that recommends that or do you recommend looking at every answer choice before moving on it depends i think with a question like this i might say that's it i'm moving on when it's something that's so visually apparent to me yeah. but for the most part just on, on the basis of anxiety alone i typically <laughs> go through all four answers yeah. um i do like to kind of especially if i'm short on time i will let the visual ones be ones that i don't go through all of them especially with significance because i think that those are once you master knowing what the trick is, it becomes, it'll jump out at you. Yeah. So with ones that I have no questions about, I'll probably just pick it and move on. But for something like um, maybe the first question in a passage, or if I'm just like anxious that day, I might go through all of them just for good measure for my own security. Nice. Okay. So just to, to answer choice C here is CHK2 minus and P53 plus. Again, those have the overlapping bars there and then chk2 plus and p53 uh plus, plus. Uh, again over overlapping bars so yeah. the, the only one there that was different was that p53 minus so go find that in the answer and that's probably the, the right answer yeah cool all right why don't you read number seven here all right. So number seven, suppose that an unusually high degree of aurora kinase activity is observed in the cervix. What could we reasonably conclude about C5M treatment efficacy across all cervical cancer cell lines using this new information and the data within the passage? So it's kind of a very wordy question, yeah. but they're telling us, okay, I see a lot of aurora kinase activity in the cervix. Remind me what aurora kinase activity is again. And that's where I would go back to the passage. I don't expect myself to know everything. I just know aurora kinases play a crucial role in mitosis progression. I know that there's A, B, and C that are involved in different things. Um, that's all I really know. So I say, okay, so there's an unusually high degree of aurora kinase activity in the cervix. What can I conclude about treatment of efficacy across all cervical cancer lines? So if I go back into my table to see what I can see here, I have one cell line that had um, cervical cancer, a, cervic, a carcinoma of the cervix. I see the HeLa there, and I saw that it was pretty efficient there. I don't really have much other information. So right off the bat, I'm saying like, huh, okay, there's not much. I'm going to go through the four answer choices on this one. This one was kind of not one that I can super predict. So especially when they ask like, which of the following could we conclude Prediction is not the most efficient um, strategy here because I don't know what they're going to give me. There's a billion predictions I could make. They may not even be answer options. So I looked at this and I kind of understood what the question's asking. I'm just going to go through one by one and see if my answer options make sense. Okay. So the first one tells me C5M will significantly inhibit mitotic progression in cancerous cervical cells. So that's true for the one line that I've seen. 
But that's a big jump to make. That's a very large logical leap because the question stem is saying all cervical cancer lines, and I've only seen one. So I feel pretty suspicious about that. That seems very extreme. And that's something to always look out for. And I'm always telling students this, that don't go for all unless you have really strong proof that it's all. And here, one example of one cervical cancer cell line, I'm going to go ahead and X that out. That's too extreme for me. Yep. Okay. So then I'm going to look at the next one. C5M will significantly inhibit mitotic progression in cancerous cervical cells, but only if P53 gene expression is knocked out. Um, I know that P53 knockout does inhibit the efficacy of C5M, but I specifically looked at that with a colon cell line. So my HCT116, that was a colon carcinoma. That gives me no information about cervical carcinoma. So that is completely out of scope for me. That maybe could be true, but they did not give me that information in the passage. So I'm going to cross that out as well. Then I see C5M will not significantly inhibit mitotic progression in cancerous cervical cells. And again, the same reason that I crossed out A, I'll use to cross out C. I can't make a complete kind of ruling on what the efficacy of this drug is for all cervical cancer cell lines because I've only ever seen one. And so by process of elimination, I know that it's D, but then when I read D and it says insufficient information is available to make conclusions <laughs> about the treatment efficacy, I say, yeah, that's pretty much what I what I felt from the beginning of this question, which is, huh. That's not a lot of information to go off of. So I think this is an answer trap that a lot of students fall into. They're afraid to say that it's the insufficient information. I've had so many students say that. They're like, I didn't pick it because it's never that. And I'm like, no, 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 but it is that sometimes. (laughs) And you you can use process of elimination here to quell that anxiety that that's a trap. Because if you go through all of them and you say that's too extreme, out of scope, too extreme, then you're left with it. But it is, I think, hard with novel information in passages for students to be like, was I supposed to know more about this? Was I supposed to have like a broader understanding of cervical cancer? I don't know. But that's why I really like process of elimination in these kinds of questions, especially when insufficient information is one of choices, because that helps me feel a lot more confident in that answer. Okay. All right. Question eight. Given the mechanism of C5M action, what is the most likely reason that C5M concentrations greater than to, is that micromolar? Micromoles uh, were not used by the scientists for the for this experiment. All right. So what are they asking? So they're, they're asking kind of a extrapolation. Um, the mechanism of action of C5M. Why did the scientists not use big concentrations greater than two micromoles um, in the experiment? Uh, That is a wonderful question, right? And we go back to down to figure one. They used one micromole of the C5M Mm -hmm. for this one uh, exposure that we have. I don't think they didn't give us um, a concentration. Well, they, they, yeah, they didn't give us a, a concentration other places other than kind of the titration to get to the, the yeah. 50% inhibition. Uh, and that's in, uh, what is that? N- n- nanomoles? Nanomolars. Uh, yeah. Nanomolars there. So um, it's amazing how you forget all these different abbreviations for uh, units when you're outside yeah. of this for so long. All right. So I... I don't know how I can come to a conclusion because I'm like, I don't know why they didn't use a lot here and how it works. And um, I don't know. 
Yeah. So this one, I would probably go back to the passage and see, wait, what's the mechanism? Because <laughs> that seems like it's important. Yeah. They told me that it was given the mechanism. Why didn't they do it? So the mechanism must have something to do with why they chose these lower concentrations. So in that passage right above, or that paragraph right above table one, I see it's promised as an efficient inhibitor of the division of cells from a multiplicity of origins. So just division of cells in general. So it'll inhibit just division, period. Yeah. And that tells me that a lot of cells could be affected by my C5M, not just cancer cells. Mm. So that's already kind of on my mind that it said multiplicity of origins. It said just efficient inhibitor of division of cells. That seems kind of like a broad spectrum ability of C5M. So I'm going to keep that in mind. It sounds like maybe the scientists were um, trying to spare healthy cells from being inhibited too much because that is something that is a kind of side effect and a, a deleterious effect of a lot of cancer drugs is they in- inhibit division, but they inhibit division everywhere and you end up with a lot of other side effects because healthy cells are being inhibited as well. Yeah. So that's my that's my prediction before I even look at the answer choices. And now I'm just going to go through them and see which of these answer choices actually matches that prediction that they were just trying to spare healthy cells because this is an inhibitor of all cell division. Yeah. Okay, makes sense. So answer choice A, C5M is expensive to produce. I'm just going to stop there. They didn't talk about absolutely not <laughs> how, how much it costs to make. Uh, answer choice B, C5M was found to be equally uh, efficacious in all cell lines at the same concentration, which we know not to be true based on table one. Um, yep. Answer choice C, concentrations less than two micromolar act to increase the efficiency of C5M more than higher concentrations. Um, I don't think we necessarily have data to support that. So yeah, we also kind of have the opposite, opposite. which yeah. is that in our first table, we were shown that sometimes you do yeah. need a higher concentration. It, it seems like it depends on the cell yep. more than just the concentration alone. Yep. So I don't like that one. Yeah. And so I'm automatically left with D before even reading it. Uh, answer choice D, it is possible that higher concentrations of C5M could disrupt normal cellular division and destroy healthy neighboring tissue, which, I mean, I think makes sense. Even if we weren't able to paraphrase the question, we I think most people understand that that any sort of cancer drugs is, is bad for the body. Yeah. All right. That's easy yeah. enough. Yep, not so bad. So I think this is one of those ones where prediction is great if you can do it, but it's unnecessary. So it's very possible to get through a lot of questions. I think a lot of students get nervous when we recommend predicting. They're like, I don't know enough to predict. I feel scared. What if I predict wrong? And then I bias myself against the answers. (laughs) And my response is always, that's okay. If you don't feel confident predicting yet, you can always start with process elimination and make it make sense as you go along. But as you get more comfortable with it, and as you get more comfortable reading science passages, you will learn to predict. And you'll start to see that your predictions are a lot more accurate than you think they are. Um, This is also why reading research in general is helpful. Um, That's something that I do is I listen to a lot of like research podcasts and read research, just a couple of things a day, like signed up for some random journals to send me (laughs) their like weekly roundup. But it just keeps my brain sharp. And when I was studying for the MCAT, it was really helpful just to be exposed to scientific literature on a relatively regular basis. All right, nerd. Let's go. <laughs> yes. Oh, proudly. <laughs> proudly, as everyone should be. Yes. Um, all right, question nine. All right, so why might the researchers, ah, why? I'm already like red flag. Why might the researchers have used both Malavu and focus cell lines in their IC50 experiments, considering that both are liver cell lines? Hmm. Why did they do that? And so 
I like don't feel confident about how much I know about like liver cancer therapies. Uh, I'm just going to process of eliminate this one because I don't even know how to predict. I'm like, I don't know. There could be a lot of cancers in the liver. I, I don't know. Yeah. I just know that they're different cell lines. They're both livers from my table. I can see that they're both cancerous liver tissues. Beyond that, I know nothing. Yeah. So I'm just going to walk through my answer choices and say, all right, let me see what makes sense. Yeah. So my first option just lied to me. It said one cell line is from a healthy liver. And I know that's not true because it said carcinoma in both of them. Yep. So boo, gone for A. Okay. Then I see B, different cancers may exist within the same tissue and may respond in different ways to possible therapies. That mm. kind of matches what I was just saying. Like, I don't know, there could be a couple options within the liver. So that seems like a good possibility i'm going to leave that on the table yep i don't necessarily understand everything about that i just know that if you want a good cancer drug you're probably going to want to test it on multiple cancers within a cell type as mm. opposed to just one cancer per cell type that makes logical sense to me but i don't know i'm not confident so i'm going to go through the rest of them but okay. i'm going to leave b on the table it seems like a viable option okay um the next tells me that one cell line came from a human and the other came from a mouse and that is not given to me in the passage anywhere. Yep. So I am not going to say that. That seems like way too much of a logical leap. So I'm going to cross that out. Okay. And then the last is saying it was unnecessary. Scientists could have selected only one of the cell lines for use. And that's tempting because we love to say things are unnecessary. We don't have enough information. But I noticed that there's actually a big difference between my two liver lines. And so if they had just used one, they might have come to a completely different conclusion than if they had used the other. So I actually do think it was necessary to see the difference between how two different liver cancers respond to this cell, this, um, this C5M treatment. So I don't think it was unnecessary. I think it's very much there's a difference and it matters. So I'm going to go ahead and cross D out and say B makes the most sense that a researcher who's looking at the efficacy of a treatment would probably want to make sure they've tested it on as many things as possible. And that means looking at the diversity of cancers that could exist within a single organ. Nice. And that, that finishes the passage. Do you have any kind of rituals before you move on to the next passage? I literally close my eyes for three seconds and take a deep breath in and a deep breath out. Nice. And I was like, I would like recite to myself. I'm like, okay, the passage is over. It's gone. It's over. It's gone. <laughs> But I need that because I'm a, I'm an anxious person. I fixate on things. If I thought something was harder, I was unsure, and I let that stay in my brain, it, I will bring it with me to the next passage, and I don't want to do that. Yeah. All right, so there you have it. Another amazing episode from the Blueprint MCAT team here on the MCAT podcast. Again, go check out blueprintprep.com. Sign up for the free resources. You get a free half-length diagnostic, full-length one for free, which is what we've been covering here on the podcast and many more amazing resources over at blueprintprep.com. Have a great week. We'll see you next time here on the MCAT Podcast. This is MedEd Media.